0: You're listening to The Treatment Room with Tess and Lauren, the podcast by estheticians, for estheticians, and those who seek to learn about their own skin from a professional's perspective. We're diving into our whys as licensed skincare therapists, sharing in our career journeys, and separating the gimmicks from the real heroes in skincare. Welcome to The Treatment Room.
1: Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Treatment Room with Tess and Lauren. Um, We are here today. We are back with Michelle, who's the founder of Concepts Institute and Advanced Aesthetics Teacher. Today, we're going to dive into chemical peels, and we're going to talk about pretty much everything you would want to know about chemical peels. Um, But first, we're going to start off with a little Q&A. So um, first of all, we're super excited to have you back, Michelle. So thanks so much for chatting with us.
2: Yes, definitely. Happy to be here. I know you guys really
0: loved our last episode, Michelle. We got some great feedback. Everyone was so excited. and oh, everybody. Wonderful. Yeah. We had some people submit questions through Instagram. So we gathered those, and we thought it'd just be a fun way to kick off the podcast answering some questions from listeners. So I'll just dive into, into those if everyone's ready. The first one is... Tips for rosacea-prone skin.
2: Okay. And so um, as far as tips just in in general or in relation to the chemical peels, which we probably don't want to use much of if if an individual (laughs) does have acne rosacea, but anything in specific? Yeah. I
0: think, you know, this has been kind of like a common theme, people with rosacea. I think just like basic care wondering, you know, things they shouldn't do or things they can do to
2: improve their skin. Okay. Okay. Perfect. Yes. So um, to start out with acne rosacea, it's called acne rosacea or acne rosy or acne redness, which is uh, the word rosacea, um, is, is idiopathic, meaning that most, uh, well, everybody really doesn't really know where, you know, how, ha- What causes it? What's the cause of rosacea? And when they say it's idiopathic, it just means they really don't know. There's been a lot of um, uh, speculation and a lot of hypothesis, but nobody truly knows. It was uh, thought, you know, it may be the demodex mite that causes rosacea and causes the capillaries to Become inflamed, but uh, what uh, scientists realize is that we all have some level of demodex mites in our skin. If you want to look it up on the online and Google it, the little the little mite doesn't look too. Um, too uh, friendly, but it does. It exists in our skin, and it and it, and it consumes some of the the uh, dead skin cells, and it's just sort of a a natural commensal in the skin. Um, and then some folks even believe that you know it might be autoimmune, but nobody truly truly knows yet. Anyhow, that's what the dermatologists and you know the, the doctors tell me. But what we do know is that acne rosacea is more prone in um, women than it is in men. Um, It is more often found in Fitzpatrick types one, two, and three, but can be found in any Fitzpatrick type. Um, It actually can become worse in men than in women if, if men do happen to acquire it. Um, And it, tends to just sort of hit a ceiling in terms of severity by time most people are around about 40 or 50 years of age. And basically with acne rosacea, unlike acne vulgaris, which is um, you know, true acne and acne vulgaris, of course, is the inflammation of the follicle, acne rosacea is more of an inflammation of the capillary. So the capillary is not just dilated like with, you know, with telangiectasia cuprose, but it's actually inflamed. So there's an inflammatory component to that, which makes, of course, the capillaries dilated and sensitive and the skin becomes red and the skin becomes inflamed. There are actually four levels of acne rosacea. Um, Grade one or level one, most people have a little bit of redness to the skin. They may have some, you know, of course they'll have some dilated vessels uh to the facial area and then maybe a little bit warm to the touch so often um they you know they often don't know that they have rosacea and then upon going to the dermatologist then they're diagnosed most of the doctors i've worked with will tell you the difference between Rosacea and telangiectasia is a really fine line, but rosacea tends to have more heat in the skin, um, sometimes some irritation to the skin or itching of the skin. Um, acne rosacea grade two usually presents with the same thing as acne rosacea grade one, but then you start to develop the pustules, the little bumps in the skin. And that could be caused by just a lot of stimulation. You know, there's a lot of um, stimulation and blood in the tissue of the skin in terms of the capillaries when someone has rosacea and that's what some of the doctors perceive may be the breakouts that you get, the papules and pustules that you get. Um, Acne grade three um, actually inflames the nose area. Probably, you know, you've all seen like rhinophema you know, the really big, like large fleshy nose. (laughs) Yeah. That happens often in men for some reason. Um, Doctors really don't know why so in men than in women, but it happens in men and they get the really big red, uh, kind of, uh, fleshy noses. Sometimes, um, they need to do some laser to, to bring that down or um, electrotherapy or sometimes even surgery. And then there's acne grade four. And acne grade four um, encompasses all of the other things that I just talked about, but the, the white of the eye, the whites of the eye, also becomes very red and bloodshot. So it looks, always, it looks painful. I'm sure it feels painful. So there are four grades of rosacea. Most estheticians will um, encounter at some point in their career, probably acne grade one and two, since grade three and four are a little bit more rare. So just some general things that you can do to help calm down the skin. Of course, when you do a facial, you know, you want the facial to be very calming and soothing. Use ingredients on the skin that a client is not allergic to. Um, Ingredients containing or products rather containing aloe vera is usually pretty good. Aloe vera is made up of 99.5% water and the other 0.5% um, 20 amino acids. So it's very healing. Um, if they're not allergic to essential oils and they're not allergic to ragweed because ragweed is very closely related to chamomile. Um, if not, then maybe some uh, chamomile products, but generally essential oils, which, which are great for most skin types, you just need to be careful with acne rosacea. And um, the facial should be really gentle and calming and soothing. Um, products that contain vitamin K have been found as a, an anti inflammatory. Of course, you know, the general advice we give, like, you know, not a lot of alcohol or reduce your alcohol intake, re- reduce your caffeine intake. Um, sometimes stimulation, like a lot of massage or exercise, can exacerbate the condition. That's why lymphatic drainage. Is a great massage for rosacea because it's a different type of massage that is actually very calming and soothing and helps to get rid of some of the the swelling, the edema. Um, and there's something that I tell my clients <clears throat> and have been for years to um, to take. And maybe this is something that you will want to check with, or they will want to check with their doctors because, of course, anytime you talk about anything um, that your client may take for uh, to consume they need to check with their docs first. But a combination, um, it's been found, a combination of 500 milligrams of vitamin C In conjunction with 250 milligrams of bioflavonoids, bioflavonoids is vitamin P, and taking that combination every day, at least for my own clientele, I found that it seriously reduces redness. You know, it's a natural antihistamine, it's a natural uh, antioxidant, it helps to strengthen the capillaries, it's said to be very calming and soothing, and I've really found that it really helps reduce redness. Again, being something that the client would have to consume, though, they may want to just consult with their their doc on that.
0: It's all coming back to me. I remember you, you mentioned that in a class we've had before.
2: Yeah, I, I've, um, you know, talked to my personal clients, the doctor's patients about it for years. And it's interesting when they do start taking that vitamin combination over the first four to six weeks, the reduction in redness, and people are always so surprised that, you know, just that combination of those water-soluble vitamins can be so helpful. But um, it, it's very helpful to the skin um, and of course, you know, always remembering, in you know, whatever you do for the skin, whether it be extractions or using any kind of exfoliation, everything needs to be lighter rather than aggressive. No, you know, nothing, no deep friction on the skin. And that's, you know, pretty much common knowledge as far as that's concerned. Overall, you're saying... Don't overdo it. Keep it pretty simple. Keep it calming. Exactly. And because it is a condition that is treatable, a lot of the doctors will use Metrogel. It's a condition that's treatable, but not really curable at this point in time. We kind of just have to keep it under, you know, keep it uh, in control by offering the clients and doing very soothing treatments. Um, sometimes, I have the question, people will ask me, well, what about applying ice? Now, applying ice will contract the capillary for a short period of time, but the inflammation in the capillary is there. So, you know, once the the ice is off the face, you know, within usually a, a few minutes to an hour, that redness comes back again.
0: That was actually another question we had for you. It was about applying ice to the skin. And I've heard different things. I've heard that You should use cold water if you're rosacea prone. I've also heard, you know, using really extreme cold temperatures, like applying ice directly to the skin could somehow damage the capillaries. What are your thoughts on very extreme temperatures and rosacea prone skin?
2: Well, the capillaries, the blood vessels and capillaries alike all contain um, small muscles in them. So if you do create a lot of stress on that muscle, the muscle can become, um, you know, inelastic. And then, of course, the, the rosacea is going to look more severe. So I think maybe some cool compresses after a rosacea treatment would be fine. Um, when I do a rosacea treatment, the water is always lukewarm rather than, you know, really hot or, or really cold. It's, it's lukewarm. Sometimes I'll use a cool roller afterwards just to kind of cool them down and make them feel better. Of course, the reduction in redness, um, you know, there is a reduction in redness temporarily. So that, you know, that's, uh, something that you can add to the regime but as far as utilizing ice on the skin and it permanently you know shrinking down capillaries that i've i've never found to be the case
0: We have a question about at home microcurrent devices, since you teach a class on microcurrent, Michelle, what are your thoughts on people buying and using at home devices like the new face, or things that they could purchase kind of over the counter
2: yeah i really think it depends on the um the energy level of the modality some of or most of the professional modalities are you know they're fairly strong so they can do such things as um emit an electrical impulse a microcurrent impulse into the tissue which then triggers the nerve to trigger the muscle to Tighten, you know, stimulates the muscle for some uh, light contraction. And then some of the microcurrent devices, they'll do some lymphatic drainage, you know, they'll, it'll um, increase circulation, help to push in product and things like that. And some of the home um, modalities I've seen have been pretty good. What I generally do is I'll use a professional device for my clients. And sometimes the clients will buy their own at-home device, which is weaker, to kind of keep up the work in between the treatments. Mm-hmm. So generally, we start with, if you're going to do a microcurrent treatment with most of these modalities, we start with twice a week for six weeks. And then after that, the client comes back um, once a month thereafter. And in between, if they have an at-home device, I'll you know have them use it according to the manufacturer's directions, um, maybe a couple times a week. And I find that really does help you know, in between the, in, in the interval between the visits. So kind of as maintenance. Exactly. Exactly. Got it. Okay. Yes. But you, would as say, maintenance.
0: you would say the results aren't as effective as if you were to go to a professional and have a professional device used on you.
2: Yeah, I would say it would take a lot more work. Mm-hmm. You know, where a professional device submits um, more energy so that you get um, more energy and activity in the skin and in the muscles. An at-home device generally is not meant to be that strong. First of all, because, you know, if your client has it, um, you don't want your client to, to hurt themselves. So those right. devices usually are weaker, but you're right. It's more of a maintenance. Okay, got it. We
0: get a lot of questions about there's just so many, um, you know, devices available to consumers these days. So we get a lot of questions. What do you think of this pen or this light or this
2: microcurrent device? But, yeah, I get that all the time too. Yeah. I have my estheticians, uh, students and nurse students um, frequently, um, weekly, I get a, a <laughs> handful of questions yeah. like that. And that is a good question. And it's sometimes yeah. it's hard to know without, you know, you want to find a reputable manufacturer. Uh, some manufacturers will even let you test the equipment and send it back. You have to check with them, but they'll let you test it for a little while and send it back if if it's not something that you feel, you know, It's a good match for your practice. So you could check with manufacturers for that as well.
1: So I think our last question for our little Q&A section, um, what would you say would be the best kind of at-home way of um, treating post-acne marks, so like little red marks?
2: That's a that is a really good question too. So so with post acne marks or post inflammatory hyperpigmentation, that's usually a result of um, acne. Um, and it depending upon the person's Fitzpatrick type. If you have someone uh, who is a Fitzpatrick four, five, or six, they probably have the darker brown marks because they produce more of the eumelanin, melanin, which is um, you know correlated to the darker skin. And then with the more pink or yellowish marks, that's usually in Fitzpatrick one, two, or three. But either way, we would treat it the same way. Once the acne is gone, you completely gone, then what you could do um, after about a month or so is you can start to do very, very gentle lactic acid peels. And I say gentle because if they're too strong, it can actually re-inflame um, the area. And then, of course, the, the post-inflammatory hyperpigmentation would uh, would become worse. So very light peels after a few months. Um, if it's been, again, a couple of months, maybe very mild um, microdermabrasion. And another thing you can do um, prior to that is put your client on a melanogenesis inhibiting cream, some type of like a fading cream or lightener and brightener for a couple of weeks to suppress the pigmentation so that when you do go in with these peels and microdermabrasion, it doesn't re-inflame it. Years ago, when I first started in this industry back in the 80s, we didn't really have a great understanding of chemical peels. So as soon as the acne had... sighted and there was PIH left on the skin, we would start these peels hoping to slough the skin. But the thing was, and we didn't realize that then, there wasn't the training for it back then, is that it would re-inflame the skin. So the inflammatory mediators that are there that cause the post-inflammatory hyperpigmentation are still there. So if you peel too soon, you re-inflame everything. So you would want to wait, you know, a couple of a month or so, or maybe a couple of months afterwards. Inhibitors can work as well. The thing with inhibitors, the inhibitors aren't normally necessary for PIH. They're more necessary for like solar lentigo, like sunspots and melasma. Mm -hmm. And examples of those inhibitors would be things like Retin-A hmm Retin-A or retinol products. Um, other ingredients would be like arbutin, um, azeliac acid, kojic acid, um, lactic acid, just to name a few, licorice extract, mulberry extract, just to name a few. Amazing. Well, I think
0: that really leads well into our main topic of the podcast, which is chemical peels. We have a few questions we would love to ask Michelle. So let's kind of just start at the basics, at the baseline. What are a few main types of chemical peels you will
2: encounter as an esthetician in your career? So some of the most commonly used and most popular are the members of the alpha hydroxy acid family, like glycolic acid, lactic acid, um, and then you've got um, tartaric acid from grapes, malic acid from apples. And then, of course, the, the, the big BHA, you know, the beta-hydroxy acid, salicylic acid is a beta-hydroxy acid. Um, and those are the, the big ones. Jesners, too. Jessner's is used often by estheticians, depending upon where you are and what your state board allows. But Jesners is made up of, it's a cocktail peel, and it's made up of 14% lactic 14% uh, salicylic acid, and then 14% resorcinol, which is a phenol. And it's a really good exfoliator, but it also helps to lighten and brighten because it has those melanogenesis inhibitors in it. So those are the, the you know, those are very uh, common today, I would say probably at the top of, of the list.
0: Okay. And um, what are the moon skin types that would benefit from... Each type of peel, because, like you were saying, if somebody is rosacea prone, they may, they probably shouldn't use anything overstimulating. What are skin types that benefit from the main types of peels?
2: Yeah, So um, glycolic acid is, it's been around for such a long time, for decades and decades, probably the best known, um, still used today, you know, very safe if you use it correctly. And that's a really good um, just overall exfoliator. So if you have someone, whether they have, you know, semi-sensitive skin or even acne skin, as long as it's not open, the glycolic acid is great for just exfoliation. It it moves into the follicle. It helps to unclog follicles. Um, If an individual does have some PIH. It helps to slough with that. Um, it can help to drain some pustular acne. I wouldn't use it over open acne though. Um, glycolic is sort of just a um, across the board, you know, a good peel for most uh, most skin types and conditions. Um, and then there's lactic acid. Lactic acid I call glycolic acids a little bit more gentle sister. Mm, <laughs> they're both AHAs. A H As. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they're both AHAs. As, um, but. The lactic acid has a larger molecular structure. It also has different properties. Lactic acid is also a good exfoliator, and it's also an inhibitor of pigmentation, which is great for someone who has pigmentation issues. And it also helps to stimulate hyaluronic acid in the skin. So it has a hydrating um, hydrating, uh, ability to it. And then the salicylic acid is a beta-hydroxy acid. It's oil-loving, and of course, so is the epidermis. So you have to be careful when you use it on the skin because it can hit the skin running. It it could really, if you've got dry dry skin, you know, it it could potentially burn the skin. But with salicylic acid, um, it's really great for oily skin, congested skin, uh, very, very thick skin. Um, If you have someone with a lot of open acne, you probably wouldn't want to use it because you would get a bleed out, you know, it would open up the acne and cause a bleed out. But if the the acne is more, um, you know, more more underground, more cystic, then salicylic is, is normally fine. And then the, the Jesners, which is the combination of the salicylic, lactic, and resorcinol, that's great for thicker skin that's pigmented. So it can be thick skin that's more mature with pigmentation or a thicker skin that's younger that maybe is oily with pigmentation. But yeah, Jesners is um, generally for a thicker skin type. And a Fitzpatrick 1, 2, 3, and 4 with Jesners rather than a Fitzpatrick 5 or 6.
1: So, so what would you say, um, are some like beginner or just common mistakes that you see with peels, whether it be somebody who's brand new to peels or somebody who just hasn't used a wide variety of peels? Are there kind of common mistakes that you see people making?
2: Um, I think, I think a lot of, 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 estheticians and also clients too, they think that more is better sometimes, especially the clients, you know, they come in, I want a really strong, aggressive peel. And that's not, most of the time, that's not um, the case. So um, generally, if you're newer to doing peels, and your client is newer to having peels, I would start out with definitely a much more gentle peel, maybe a 30% with like a pH of three, that's still strong enough, but not too strong um and then making sure that you check in with your client and really make sure you follow the manufacturer's directions because not all peels even though they may have the same ingredients they're not all created equally so if you have four or five different glycolic peels from different manufacturers um, you need to follow the manufacturer's directions I, I see sometimes people just think oh it's a glycolic you know we'll just remove it with water because that's what I've always been doing and then realize oh no Manufacturers differently, so it's really important to follow the manufacturer's directions um, and checking in with your clients when the peel is on their skin. You want to um, ask them, you know, how how are you feeling now on a scale of one to ten? At least this is what I do. I'll say on a scale of one to ten, you know, ten being the worst uh, sting <laughs> imaginable, and one being like nothing. Um, when you, I, I'll tell them when you get to a four. Let, just let me know. And then I'll be aware of that. And if the time frame is not up yet, sometimes I'll remove it anyhow, because I find if it stays on the skin too long and, you know, you move into the five, six, and seven range in terms of discomfort, you can potentially, you know, have very, very small superficial burns on the skin. Well, we definitely don't want that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's never the goal. I mean, it could uh, potentially happen, and hopefully, if it does, it's just very, very superficial, and you know, crusts over and goes away in a couple of days. But that's never the goal, especially for for estheticians. We don't want you know to to burn the skin at all.
0: Michelle, I have a question because I've seen peels used both before extractions and after extractions, and so I know kind of both practices are common. Do you have an opinion on what you think is more effective or a better way to
2: go about peels in the treatment room? I think if you have a lot of extractions where the sebum is really hard to remove, then probably the best thing to do is go with an enzyme and steam instead, because an enzyme also makes a really good natural disincrustation, which softens up sebum. But let's just say someone has just some minor blackheads, maybe two or three, you know, just a few that you can take out pretty easily. Um, What I would do is um, I would do the extractions Probably, oops, I I do it on both sides here, so I have to think here. If it's if it's a stronger peel, um, probably afterwards. But if it's a weaker peel, before. Yeah. Um. But again, most of my my personally, when I do extractions, um, I will use a steam with enzyme instead to really. You know, prep the skin, soften the skin. But if they're just a couple, it it really doesn't matter so much if they're just a couple, you know, three or four blackheads or so.
0: That's one of the one of the territories that when you are kind of getting out of school, you don't learn. At least I didn't learn so much extractions and peels hand in hand, like really real life experience with that. So I think those are two of the. I don't know the more like pain points I would say for newer estheticians figuring out extractions and peels because they're the two parts of the treatment that you know somebody can be most reactive to or you know have a poor result if it if it goes awry um, exactly yeah. yeah so I think getting comfortable with those two hand in hand is a big um, pain point for us. to. And just
2: kind of as a, a rule of thumb too, if you look at your client's skin and they've got, you look down and you think, wow, there are a lot of blackheads to remove here. Um, then maybe today is just a day that we focus on the extractions. And so then I, for me, I would do the enzyme and then the steam and then if necessary too, make a little disincrustation solution, um, which you can use like uh, one ounce of distilled water, put in just a little teaspoon of baking soda, Shake it up and apply that to a cotton round or cotton ball, and then apply that to the skin for a few minutes. And that's a really good way to make a disincrustation solution, which helps to soften up the sebum and then do the extractions. And then, of course, afterwards, bring on a toner and reestablish pH. Um, but if you're looking at your client's skin and thinking, you know, this person maybe has a lot of lining and would like a peel or you know some pigmentation or like a peel but then you know here here she also has um, some blackheads but not a lot of blackheads maybe just a few then you know if it's a, a a fairly gentle peel not too aggressive you can do the peel and then after that you can take out those few few blackheads few comedones
0: i think it's really interesting you brought up ph because I feel like a lot of estheticians are used to looking at the percentages of active ingredients. And I know you really value pH when it, when it comes to peels. Do you recommend estheticians know the pH of their peels
2: and understand that or, you know, test it themselves? Um. Actually, yeah, for, for, for me and i think for for most of us in the industry knowing the ph which stands for of course potential hydrogen is super important because that's what gives the the peel its acidity which gives it its uh, hate to use the word, but burning power, so to speak. So when you look at like a a peel, say lactic acid, and it has 30%. So what you want to think about is, okay, so 30% of this is the lactic acid. So what does lactic acid do? Well, it's also, besides exfoliating, it brightens, you know, it can help hydrate the skin. So 30% of this product is, is that. And then the rest are other things like you know, buffers and soothing agents. But then you also have to look at pH think, okay, well, this lactic acid is 30%, but it also has a pH of, and let's just pretend um, a pH of three. A pH of three is fairly acidic. It's not extremely acidic, but it is fairly acidic. So you're going to get a pretty good exfoliation with that. Whereas if you were to use a pH of two, you know, you would get a, a deeper exfoliation with that. So if you if you test your client's skin before you do a chemical peel, you get a pH uh, pencil, you can buy one on Amazon or, or anywhere, get a pH pencil and test, you, test your client's skin. And it comes with a chart and you can figure out what the pH is. And let's say it tells you the pH of your client today is um, a five, and then you're using um, a peel that's a pH of three you would have to, to realize that that's actually a hundred times stronger than your clients' natural pH because every point away it's ten times stronger so if that makes sense if if I'm a five and I'm using a pH of four that chemical peel would be ten times stronger again if I'm a uh, if I'm naturally a pH of five and I'm using a peel that is a um, three, that's a hundred times stronger, two, that's a thousand times stronger. So it, you know, exponentially, um, it becomes much, much stronger, the closer to zero that you, that you get. So it's fairly safe to use about a pH of, of three for most people and um, a, like a 30%.
0: That's really interesting. It makes me
2: I feel like if you if you know the
0: client's pH from the beginning, it could probably point to other indicators about their skin. Perhaps like if the barrier is compromised, or if they're using products that are very alkaline or you know too acidic for them. I wonder if that would be just helpful to know.
2: That is so helpful to know. Yeah, I think the the pH pen um, or pencil rather. Um, doesn't, uh, people don't use it enough. Uh, um, therapists don't use it. Estheticians don't use it enough. I, I use it when uh, specifically when I, I'm going to do a chemical peel, I like to know where someone's pH is so I, I can choose the the pH of the peel appropriately. Um, but even just, you know, if, if someone comes in, a, cl- a um, client comes in and they've got say an oily center with a dry flaky surface, and you're thinking something's going on here, you know, this isn't, this isn't, doesn't look right. Um, And you question them, and maybe they're using a lot of soap and water on their skin, if they're a new client and they haven't been in before. Um, And you test the skin. If they've recently used soap and water on the skin, their skin may be a little on the alkaline side. It does take about a half an hour to an hour or so for the natural pH to come back. So if you are using soap and water on on your skin, you know, after an hour or so, it will reestablish um, a nice natural, um, mild acidic uh, pH. But yeah, I I agree. Tess, to uh, it's it is important to have that barrier. You know the pH, which is made up of uh, the acid mantle, which is made up of sweat and oil and dead skin cells. You know you want that to be stable so that you have healthy skin. You know that your skin can fight off uh, pathogens and it can uh, protect itself. And uh, you know it's very lubricating and yeah that's important (laughs) have you ever in
0: your career like had any experience with a client where where you felt like something went awry with appeal or any kind of like horror story that that new estheticians
2: could learn from That's a good good question. I think um, most of us who have been in the industry for for decades and decades, and I've been in the industry about 33, maybe almost 34 years. So we always hope, you know, it's our goal to always give the clients what they want in the best care. And our hope is never to burn a client with appeal. Um, But there has been times, especially back in the day, back in the 80s, when most of us didn't really have an understanding of how to use peels because they were so new to the industry that, you know, we were, you know, clients did get little minor burns on the skin. And luckily, they were really, really minor and very um, superficial. So they would just kind of crust over with the scab and then fall off. Um, But that's probably the extent of it, thankfully, um, that I've had as far as, you know, working with my clients in, in, in terms of creating any kind of, you know, real discomfort or mild burning of the skin?
0: Good to know. I, I, I'm always curious and I, I feel like, yeah, coming out of school, it's like you really don't know anything. You haven't had that real life experience. And it takes, I think, you know, getting getting lots of facials under your belt to understand how Peels work, and and what to be, you know, cautious of, and when you can perhaps increase it to a stronger level. So yeah, I think we just we learn through experience.
2: Yeah, and that's that's a good point to test. What I what I do is always start out with a gentle peel, and if they can take more, you know, next time leave it on a little longer. And if they can take more then next time, leave it on a little longer up until the manufacturer says, you know, this is the limit. (laughs) You don't want to go over that time frame. Um, but if the manufacturer says the limit is three minutes and your client is very uncomfortable at two minutes, and this is the first time you've ever had it, uh, they've ever had appeal, then I would neutralize it just to be on the safe side. It's always better to be safe than sorry. Yes. Um, So, yeah, but you can always increase more later. You can always leave it on a little longer, according to manufacturer's directions, later. So kind of in this case, less is more. You want to start out, you know, very slowly. (laughs) Yes,
0: and I think all of us as estheticians in a treatment room will have that one client here and there who are almost a little bit pushy about, you know, wanting something really strong. And I think that's a good message for aestheticians to understand that they're really in control and um to let their client know
2: that you can always go up a level exactly and and you said it too you're in control you're you're the boss there in that case as far as what the appeals are concerned, so you don't want to let them talk you into something stronger. Um, If you just know it's going to be too much for their skin and you can tell them, you know, I don't want to hurt you and you don't want to leave with small um, scabs on your skin or develop small scabs in the next few days. That kind of defeats the purpose. (laughs) So, yeah, so we want to start out with um, less and a peel that's more gentle and then you can always work up to a stronger peel later.
1: I've had, I think I've had both instances where I've had clients come in and want every treatment under the sun. And I don't know if that's because they didn't want to have to book another appointment or, or whatever, but (laughs) I've had, yeah, people come in and want, you know, all these different treatments all in one facial. And then I've had, um, I had one girl I'll never forget. She came in and um, she came in for a peel, a glycolic, and and she was really, really scared. And I was like, "Why? You know, it's you know, it's gonna be okay, no worries." And she explained that she had had a glycolic peel um, like a year before, or a few months before, or something. And the esthetician had left the room while she had the peel on her face. Oh and no,
2: that's the biggest no-no. I
1: know, and that's what I told her. <laughs> I was like, "Oh my God!" Well, first of all, I'm glad you're not going there anymore, because I'm like, you just can never so. Um, yeah, I think that definitely both experiences are super common, but, um, so one of our last questions, um, about chemical peels that we have for you is what ingredients, um, or like things do you recommend to avoid in aftercare, um, once you have had a peel?
2: Okay, great another good question um so after a peel whether their skin is a little more on the sensitive side or even if it's not of course you know you want to have them wear A a really good sunblock, and that's your first line of defense, especially when the skin is the epidermal tissue is a little thinner and more sensitive. And then just avoid things like, you know, scrubs at home, um, alpha hydroxies, of course, Retin A, they should have discontinued that for several weeks to a month, actually, if you're going to do a peel. I usually have my clients discontinue Retin A because Retin A is sort of a peel in and of itself, so you don't want them to use anything like that afterwards um uh, and then anything else like um enzymes uh, scrubs brushes um i would say give it 3 or fi- 3 to 5 days if they are fine after 3 days and they can go back to their regular regime. If their skin is a little sensitive or if, you know, perhaps there is some crusting, hopefully there's not, but you do have to wait for that to to fall off. Again, just to reiterate, that's not, it's never our goal, but if that does happen, there's some scabbing on the skin, you need to keep the the skin clean and and wait for that uh, scab to fall off before they go back to any um, products or ingredients that are aggressive.
0: I wanted to ask about, because this is something that comes up all the time since so many people are fitness geared nowadays, what are your thoughts on exercise post-peel and why would you not want to, to exercise post-peel?
2: Um, If it's right after a peel, like directly after a peel, if it's a really, really gentle peel, say like a 10% with a pH of three and a half or four, which would be very, very gentle. That would probably be fine to exercise after a peel. But if it's more of a professional strength peel or a stronger peel, uh, maybe, you know, with a lower pH uh, below um, three, then waiting a couple days is always good because the skin is going to be sensitive. There's going to be a little erythema. Um, It will be um, just more sensitive overall. So generally what I have my clients do is wait about 24 hours, see how they feel then. And if their skin is pretty much back to normal, there's no sensitivity, then they can go ahead and, you know, do their regular exercising. And then if not, then then wait another day, wait for 48 hours.
0: And when people actually have that, result of the skin physically peeling from a peel? Mm-hmm. What is the difference between that kind of peel and a an appeal where you don't have any actual physical peeling? Do you think one is more significant?
2: Um, not necessarily. Like we have a peel called the 2CA peel. A lot of the nurses use it, the trichlorocytic acid, and you use that on the skin and it kind of evenly will break down the corneocyte cohesions that bind that, that epidermis, you know, the stratum corneum together. So you get this sort of like peeling of a snake effect afterwards, especially if you've done many layers on the skin. Um, whereas if you were to use like a glycolic or a lactic acid, the client is still peeling and is still sloughing afterwards, but generally you won't see it because of the way that it's sloughing. Um, But it's definitely sloughing. You've definitely, um, you know, sped up the cell renewal process. So they're going to get that, um, that exfoliation. But you don't always have to see the sloughing for the skin actually, you know, to be doing it.
0: That makes sense. And I think that's pretty common for a lot of like lactic and enzyme peels or even
2: gentle glycolics. Exactly. Yeah. So most of the peels like lactic, glycolic, um, salicylic, and Jesners, um, some people you do see, you can use the same peel on two different people and you'll get some um, individuals. I had a client, I did a Jesners peel for her and she um, is a VP of a company and was up in front giving a presentation wearing a black suit. And she said, my face was just falling off onto my clothing as mm-hmm. I was speaking these bits and pieces. She just happened to naturally be a sluffer. And then at the <laughs> same peel for someone else, you know, like myself, you don't see that sloughing on my skin, just naturally. I, I know it's happening, um, but I don't see it in the same way that I saw it with with her. So yeah, everyone is really individual, but with the TCA peel, the so trichloroacetic acid, you do get that sort of peeling of a snake effect. And of course, when that's happening, you know, you want to tell the client if they have had a TCA peel, not to pull it, not just to speed it up; just let it naturally fall off, and it will usually within several days to a week. And moisturization, of course, is is very important, and sunblock is essential. Yes. So
0: hydration and definitely protecting your skin from the sun since you can be more, more sensitive. And yeah, I think just really nourishing the skin, right, Michelle,
2: and, and being gentle, not a lot of exfoliation post-peel. Exactly. Exactly. I, I would say that's right on.
0: Perfect. Well, those are all of the questions we have on chemical peels today. Thank you so much
2: for coming on and answering everything so wonderfully. You're welcome. I'm happy to be here anytime. Michelle, thank you so much for
0: coming on and taking us through all the ins and outs of chemical peels. We hope you guys enjoyed this episode. If you did, it would mean so much if you left us a little review on iTunes. It means so much to us. So thank you if you have for taking just 30 to 60 seconds out of your day to do that. It really supports our podcast. We will leave all of the notes as far as where to find Michelle and take a class with her if you would like in the show notes. Thank you everybody for listening and we will talk to you in the next episode.